After I faced my own mortality and went through the process of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, et cetera, et cetera, um, I thought the most important thing for me is to be a mentor and uh, tell stories, basically, and use narrative. So I changed my writing style. My writing became very different, and I tried to mentor as many uh, younger scholars as possible. You became a little more of a storyteller, right? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Believe in Progress, the American Association for Cancer Research Foundation podcast. Join us and be inspired by the incredible stories of those who have faced cancer with strength and resilience, and the medical professionals who are working tirelessly to find new treatments and ultimately a cure. Believe in Progress isn't just about the science of cancer. It's about the human side of this disease. Together, we can make progress in the fight against cancer and bring hope to those who need it most. Welcome to the Believe in Progress podcast featuring Dr. Paul Stoller. Paul Stoller is a professor of anthropology at Westchester University and a permanent fellow at the Center for Advanced Studies in the Humanities and Social Sciences at Friedrich Alexander University in Erlanger, Nuremberg. In his more than 30 years of anthropological research and writing, Stoller is focused on Songhai religion in Niger and the life of West African street traders in New York City. Stoller's work encompasses the study of economic exchange, religion, ethnographic film, and the human quest for well-being in turbulent times. In his most recent work, he investigates how indigenous wisdom can not only enhance social well-being, but also help to heal a troubled world. After leading a life of good health, Paul suddenly found himself diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The only thing more transformative than his fear and dread of cancer was the place it ultimately took him, 25 years back in time to his days as an apprentice to a West African sorcerer, Adamu Janitango. Paul recounted these experiences in his memoir of sorcery, cancer, and healing called Stranger in the Village of the Sick. The memoir follows Paul down his unexpected path towards personal discovery and growth, healing, and the stories about life in the village of healthy and the village of the sick, and they highlight differences in how illnesses is culturally perceived. In America and the West, illness is war. We strive to eradicate it from our bodies and lives. In West Africa, however, illness is an ever-present companion and sorcerers learn to master illnesses like cancer through a combination of acceptance, pragmatism, and patience. Paul provides a view into the ancient practices of sorcery, revealing that as an apprentice, he learned to read divining shells, mix potions, and recite incantations. But it wasn't until he got cancer that he realized that sorcery embodied a more profound meaning, one that every person could use. Quote, sorcery is a body of knowledge and practice that enables one to see things clearly and to walk with confidence on the path of fear. End of quote. Paul Stoller has made himself a name for challenging the limitations of conventional academic writing. He promotes storytelling as a way to communicate anthropological knowledge to the wider public. For the past 15 years, Stoller has facilitated ethnographic writing, weaving the world workshops in Finland the UK, Germany, and the US. Just before the onset of the pandemic in January 2021, Stoller did a Weaving the World workshop at the University of Ghana, Legon. During the pandemic, Stoller moved his workshops online, presenting it to the School of Advanced Research in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and at the Institute of Graduate Studies at the University of Geneva. 
In October 2022, he traveled to Amsterdam to do an in-person weaving the workshop at the Free University. Solar has published 16 books, including ethnographies, biographies, memoir, memoirs, as well as three novels. Since 2010, he has been blogging regularly on culture, politics, and higher education for the Huffington Post and Psychology Today, and has become an advocate for a more public and engaged anthropology. In 2013, King Carl Gustav of Sweden awarded him the Anders Retsius Gold Medal in Anthropology. In 2015, the American Anthropological Association presented him the Anthropology in Media Award. Here's the synopsis of Professor Stoller's new book, Wisdom from the Edge, Writing Ethnography in Turbulent Times, which is published by Cornell in 2023. Wisdom from the Edge describes what anthropologists can do to contribute to the social and cultural changes that shape a social future of well-being and viability. Paul Stoller shows how anthropologists can develop sensuously described ethnography narratives to communicate powerfully their insights to a wide range of audiences. These insights are filled with wisdom about how to respect for nature is central to the future of humankind. Stoller demonstrates how the ethnographic evocation of space and place, the honing of dialogue, and the crafting of character depict the drama of social life and borrows techniques from film, poetry, and fiction to expand the appeal of anthropological knowledge and heighten the ability to connect the public to the idiosyncrasies of people and locale. Ultimately, Wisdom from the Edge underscores the importance of recognizing and applying indigenous wisdom to the social problems that threaten the future. Well, Paul, welcome to the Believe in Progress podcast. And uh, for the audience out there, I just want you all to know that Paul is my big brother and uh, extremely proud of what he's done and what he's accomplished in his career. But more importantly, um, there's a phrase that we use, and he's a great mensch and a great role model for me. So, Paul, welcome to Believe well, in Progress. Well, thank you, Mitch. Thank you so much. Mitch is my little brother, and uh, he is much better looking than I am. We all will agree <laughs> with that, right? <laughs> well, Paul, um, you've had such a great career in anthropology. Could you, how'd you get interested in anthropology in the, in the first place? Well, I um, went into the Peace Corps um, and uh, went to the Republic of Niger in, uh, in West Africa. And I learned, uh, you know, I learned French and I learned uh, Songhai language, which is a language spoken in the western part of Niger. And uh, fell in love with it, basically. And then I decided that I wanted to find some way to get back to West Africa. And so uh, I went to graduate school and studied linguistics and eventually social anthropology. And I've been going back and forth uh, doing that ever since. Um, Long time ago, many decades ago. And you've done a lot of work with folks in, in New York City, uh, people that I believe, many of the people, the family, the, the husbands and uh, they, they come over and they, they're trying to make a living for their family back in Niger. Can you explain mm-hmm. a little bit about that? The earliest part of my field work was uh, in research was in, in Western Niger and rural areas. And I did that for about a 20 year period. And then uh, there were some complications there in Niger. They have some some political issues. And so I went, uh, I found Nigerian in New York, in Harlem, on 125th Street. And I began a research project there in the the early 1990s. And I continue to go up and visit my friends there to this day. So and I found it a fascinating uh, place to do research. And I knew some of the people there from Niger. I knew their family members. And I knew the villages from where they come. So 
We had a lot in common. And, and you, you speak the language fluently? Yeah, I'm fluent in Songhai language. Can you say something to the audience? Oh, sure. What could I go to church? What could I go to church? I'm a ambassador. And translate that? So every day I'm looking for someone who speaks Songhai language in, in Philadelphia or in the U.S. It's hard to find. But when I do, uh, one place I can do it is in the embassy in Washington, D.C. When I go there, uh, I shoot the breeze with people from sunup to sundown. That's what I just said. That's really cool. Um, and, and the research project that you were working on for many years with those folks, what could you talk a little bit about that? The, the ones in New York? Yes. Yes, I was interested in how they had, these people from rural West Africa adjust to life in New York City. Uh, how they, you know, what are their social connections? How, how do they make a living? They adjust to the sort of difficulties and challenges of living in the Big Apple. Um, and uh, how they manage their relationships uh, with people back, that they left back home. And so, uh, you know, they, so there's a lot, lot to do with the informal economy. Um, and uh, many of them are quite successful. They've, they've opened up import-export uh, enterprises, and some of them have done quite well for themselves. And did your research have any specific findings? You know, did they, like when you talked about how they adapted to the North American culture th and things of that uh, sort? I guess the major finding is that, that we could learn an awful lot from, from them, having come here with nothing or virtually nothing and making so much out of their lives uh, they could do a crash course in entrepreneurship, and uh, we could learn a lot from them. Uh, you've been teaching at Westchester uh, State University for many years now, and about two or three Fridays ago, um, uh, I was honored to uh, attend a really cool um, symposium exposition um, at, at, at the university, um, and they were honoring your work. Uh, could you tell the audience a little bit about what was going on and what's still going on at Westchester right now? Well, at uh, West, I've been at Westchester University for many, many decades, and uh, I'm going to probably be retiring um, the end uh, in June of 25. And so, in recognition of my work, my colleagues put together a museum ex exhibit uh, honoring my my work both in Niger and also my work in uh, New York City. So it's, uh, and it's called Surrounded by the Spirits and has a lot to do with the nature of uh, seeking well-being and what West Africans can teach us about how to achieve a measure of well-being in life. Let's flip the switch a little bit and talk a little bit about cancer. Uh, AACR, as you know, is dedicated to finding cures mm -hmm. for cancer through funding research and education. Um, and could you tell us a little bit about how you discovered you had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma B-cell? Sure. Um, uh, I had a routine uh, medical checkup, and my physician felt a mass uh, in my abdomen. Were you feeling sick? Though? No, I, I, felt, I felt perfectly okay. Okay. You know? No symptoms? Uh, no symptoms, or nothing. A little bit of fullness. I felt a little fullness in my abdomen, but I didn't. I just attributed that to digestion. And uh, he felt a mass, and then he said, well, this is not right. So I had a biopsy, and the biopsy turned out to be non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, follicular cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I remember that diagnosis well. Um, at the time, there really was, there was an experimental treatment right. um, that was rituxan. That's right. Um, could you tell us a little bit about 
the experience with the doctor talking to you about what options you have? Well, when uh, when I you know when you're told that you have cancer, it's uh, it's devastating news, right? Because you're facing your mortality, and so what I uh, you know when he told me that I had been doing research in New York, I had sort of finished my w- research in in West Africa and had really sort of distanced myself from. I apprenticed to a, a well-known healer in, in, in Niger for a 17-year period. And, but I, he passed away, and uh, I sort of was turning the page. This is Adamu. Yeah, Adamu Genitango, my teacher. And um, so uh, when I got this news, uh, I had, hadn't really been thought. I never really gave my, my health very much thought. Just you know, do my exercises, eat well. Uh, didn't feel any, hardly got, ever got sick. And then, uh, so when my physician told me that, uh, he told me that I had uh, cancer, I was, you know, shocked. And then all of a sudden I got this tingling in my stomach and I knew what I had, how I was going to have to confront it. And the way that I, uh, I, I, I knew that I had to uh, apply what I had learned from my teacher to my experience of having cancer. So he, um, so I, uh, he came back. Uh, well, the first thing we did is, and you were there, we held hands and um, we rec- I recited the Genji Hao, which is a, an incantation that harmonizes the forces uh, in, in the world, basically. So it harmonizes the forces in, the, in, the, in that room. And, uh, you know, if you have a sort of uh, diagnosis of cancer, there's a lot of disharmony, imbalance. So that text was to sort of create a, a sense of balance. And I told my physician that, uh, you know, if there's is kind of imbalance, uh, healing is an impossibility. So I said, this creates a, a measure of balance. So he said, you know, and he was okay with that. So that was cool. And then uh, he went out to calculate what I was going to get, what kind of poisons they were going to drip into my bloodstream. He came back and he, we went back to the, uh, the infusion room and there, uh, he said, I want to introduce you to your oncology nurse. And she was uh, one of the most beautiful women I had ever seen in my life. I mean, <laughs> honest to God. And she said, uh, hi, Paul, I'm Kelly. I'm going to take very, very good care of you. So I turned to my physician and I said, you see, the magic is beginning to work mm-hmm. already. You remember yeah. that, that, that phrase, what, what you, the incantation you used? You oh, spoke? yeah. Mm-hmm. It, could, could, you, could you repeat that? Well, it's... Uh, and what does that mean? It means I speak to the seven heavens, I speak to the seven hells, I speak to the east, I speak to the west, I speak to the north, I speak to the south. My words must go up and up and up to the high spirit. May the high spirit hear them. And if the high spirit hears them, then there will be harmony and healing will take place. And you deeply believed that, obviously, because we all held hands and it was something you believed. But if you take us back 25 or 30 years to, you said you were an apprentice, right? With with Adamu. Um, Well, talk about that. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, 25 years ago, when I was an apprentice, my teacher had me memorize incantations. <clears throat> he sent me out to the bush, uh, the, the nature to look for healing plants, uh, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I uh, just basically watched him. Um, you know, when you have a master-apprentice kind of relationship, you just sort of sit with your master, you watch what he does, uh, you listen to what he says, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately, um, <clears throat> I didn't really realize what he had to teach me until, um, you know, he, he presented all these, he sort of planted seeds, seeds of my, uh, uh, in, into, my, uh, into my mind, but they, they hadn't germinated yet. And so what, uh, what I thought sorcery was all about or healing was all about was, you know, combating evil, basically. And when I became sick, I realized that that's not what it's about. When you confront your own mortality, it, it, it brought into relief what his basic message to me was. And that took me 25 years to realize. And that basic message was that uh, it's very difficult to feel comfortable in your skin. And so all of the stuff that he was teaching me is, how do you, how, how do you feel comfortable in your skin? How do you ma uh, maintain a kind of well-being in the world? How do you achieve that? And, uh, you know, it's not easy. But uh, that's you know, the fundamental lesson. And so um, the, the experience I had sort of transformed me as a person, but also as a scholar. So prior to that, I was interested in research and theory and applying for grants and getting this and that. After I faced my own mortality and went through the process of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, et cetera, et cetera, um, I thought the most important thing for me is to be a mentor and uh, to tell stories, basically, and use narrative. So I changed my writing style. My writing became very different, and I tried to mentor as many uh, younger scholars as possible. You became a little more of a storyteller, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and prior to that, it was more research-focused, more it, academic? Well, it, it, there was narrative in my, my writing, but there was not, uh, you know, it was not as uh, front and center as it became after my having had cancer. So uh, in, I'm sure it's your first book, In Sorcery Shadow, is that your first mm -hmm. book? Yeah. Um, there's a great picture of Adamu Janitango on the mm -hmm. front cover. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always been um, hearing some stories about him from you. Uh, I've always just felt like he, he has a place in my my heart too. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell us a little bit about him and and you know who he was and why he was such a uh, majestic, powerful figure? He he is a direct descendant of uh, a man called Sunny Alibert, who was a emperor of the Songhai Empire in the in the 15th century. He is a direct descendant of him, and his his power was derived through sorcery. Healing, he was a, you know, a great military figure. Uh, sorcery, healing, et cetera, et cetera. So his knowledge is passed down from the 15th century to the, to, to the present. So uh, Adamu's son is now the recipient and has that, all of that knowledge. So, um, but let me, uh, rather than, let me give you an example of how, how he uh, would tell stories. Uh, one day when I was, you know, and I would sleep in the spirit hut next to him, which is a straw hut. And one day he woke me up at dawn and said, uh, meet me on the side of the spirit hut. And, I, and he said, I have important things to tell you. So I said, okay. So then he, uh, we, we go off to this uh, you know, pond from uh, Matt, Matt, and his grandson brings some tea, and he heats up the tea. We start, you know, he starts pouring the tea, and eventually we start sipping the tea. And his house was on the edge of the bush because... Uh, sorcerers, healers, 
always, no one wants to live cl- too close to them. So we always live at the edge of the, of the wilderness. Why don't so, they want to live close? Because to them? if you get too close, it may, it may be dangerous for you, right? <laughs> okay. So you don't want to be too close. <laughs> so um, they're seen as like fire. If you get too close to fire, it, you get burned. Okay. So um, he looked out into the bush and he, he shook his head and he said, you know, uh, things, are, things, are, things are bad. We've lost the old ways. People are not paying attention to uh, the old words, the old ways. People are being uh, inhuman to one another. They're not social relations are afraid. People are cruel to one another. And he says we abuse nature as well. We're taking things from nature without do, paying due respect to nature. And I and he said, you know, now because of that, we have either too much rain or not enough rain. Um, we have hunger. We have drought. Uh, we have sick children. Um, you know, and he says that you can smell death in the air. All of that, and he said basically, what I've learned my whole my whole work has been to try to maintain a balance between the village and the bush, or between social life and nature. And uh, every day, my fellow people here they disrupt that balance, and my job is to try to maintain it. So that is my work. And he said, he looked at me, and this is early on in my field work. He looked at me and he said, uh, you know, so you've been to the bush. You understand what it is. It's a dangerous place. You have to respect it. So um, he said, I want my work to become your work. Right? And so, you know, that was, he told that story to me about 35 years ago where he was focusing, you know, it's, it's kind of prophetic if you think about it. Because uh, he says that the bush is angry, nature is angry, and we just have to look around. Uh, this past summer, the wildfires, floods, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and nature is angry. Pretty profound. And, and yeah. So he's, you know, you get people who live uh, sort of on the edge there, uh, and that's why I call my book "Wisdom from the Edge," my latest book, is they have to be sensitive to these kinds of things, and uh, they have a lot to teach us about uh, our relationship to nature. And, and all of that is connected to, you know, to uh, our relationship to one another. And he was big on, you know, you should try to respect people as much as you can, even if they're different from you or if you're there, they don't, you think they're poor or they're ignorant. Uh, maybe they have something in them that is important to know. So uh, you presented me with this uh, many years ago. Yeah. And this comes from Niger. Yeah. And could you explain what this is and why it's that, important to me? That is a ring, uh, and it has soaked in the blood of sacrifice over many, many years. And um, it was from my, my teacher's, you know, my, my teacher's collection of rings. And so people, you know, in that part of the world, they uh, very often they wear rings that connect them to uh, their spirit world, the spiritual world. And so that, you know, that ring ha- embodies a kind of energy that uh, is protective. Hey, well, look at you. I feel feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> I might be putting it on my finger now. Um, uh, or if you keep it in your pocket, it's yeah. the same thing. Right? Well, so, let's go back to the cancer journey. Um, I believe you wrote a book to talk a little bit about your cancer yeah. journey. Um, and um, could you please tell the audience a little bit about that book and why you wrote it and what lessons you think we could gain from that? Mm. Well, uh, the book is called Stranger in the Village of the Sick. And I wrote it because I felt 
that um, my 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 journey through uh, the sort of cancer land uh, was enhanced significantly by by applying two forms of uh, healing. One is I you know, obviously have respect for Western medicine, and uh, my oncologist, you know, uh, gave me at the at the time the latest kind of treatment, uh, Rituxan. I was one of the first people to get Rituxan, and and I got uh, maintenance therapy as well, and I agreed to do that. But I felt that that was in and of itself was insufficient for my for my well being. So I would, you know, I recite incantation every time I go for uh, chemotherapy. Um, I'd recite the Genji help, which I just said to create harmony in that space. Um, and, you know, and, and I would spit in the four cardinal, cardinal directions. Nurses got used to me after a right. while and they say, okay, <laughs> this is all right. Well, what the hell, you know? And, um, you know, and I just wrote the book to show that there are, you know, the, 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 there, there's a lot of wisdom in the world and there's not just one way of doing things. There's multiple ways of doing things. And if you, um, employ uh, these kinds of things, uh, it enhances your well-being. And uh, it did for me, and I, ho- I hope that the people who read the book would get, especially cancer patients, most of the, the book was sort of aimed not to an academic audience, but to um, physicians, nurses, and uh, cancer patients and the families of cancer patients. That book's still available? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. We, we, we will, uh, in our notes, we will put uh, a link to how, yeah, so how Beacon, people Beacon can Press. Get Beacon Publishing. Press. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, and, uh, like, do you talk about that a lot? Like, with even with your students, do you talk about that book and your cancer journey at all? Sure. Sure. I talk about, um, I, I talk yeah. about wellness a lot to my stu- my introductory students. I talk about that um, a good deal, and I talk about the that um, there are. I do it in terms of. Uh, I talk about it in terms of the village of the sick and the village of the healthy, and I say to, I tell them uh, that you know I'm going to be giving that lecture you know next week I think. Uh, so we all you know most people live in the village of the healthy where in the village of the healthy you take your health for granted pretty much you know you don't think about. You know, if you get sick, you go see a physician, you take some pills, maybe you take some antibiotics, uh, and your episode, you know, the episode of uh, illness is, you know, it's sort of limited uh, for, you know, you get better, right? But if you uh, have, uh, there's the village of the sick, and that's the village that people live in who have illnesses that have no cure, and you know, or or there, you know, the cure is it. so. A lot of you know, cancer for many cancers, that's the case. For uh, you know, autoimmune deficiencies, um, you know, like Crohn's disease, um, you know, various other kinds of uh, illnesses, uh, some forms of heart disease as well. So, um, so if you're in that village of the sick, um, it's hard, you know. And your fate, you know, you know that you, there's not a real cure for what you have, but um, you know you're in remission. Which, when you're in remission, you are neither here nor there. You're in between. You're between health and illness. You look healthy, but you know that you're not because you don't. You're not going to be cured of your illness. Maybe you'll be in remission for a long time, but that specter of the fact that you know you may you can have a relapse at any moment uh, is there. It doesn't go away. So the way that, you know, uh, 
So, you know, support groups for various cancers, the reason that they are successful is that you can go into a support group and you've all been through the same thing. You've all faced your mortality um, and you don't have to say a word to them. You have this sort of immediate understanding uh, and that creates a kind of confidence and people can bear their soul and, and feel comfortable talking about things that they're most fearful about. And so it's very therapeutic. And the other frustrating thing is, is that when you're in the village of the sick, you can never go back to the village of the healthy. You're there. Uh, you can talk to people in the village of the healthy, but they can't really understand the depth of your experience. Um, and sometimes it's frustrating because, you know, you say, uh, you talk to people and they don't, they don't, they don't quite get it. Um, and, you know, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of thing. And that's why people who've had uh, a cancer experience, for example, they have this kind of uh, almost an immediate bond, you know, and um, it's, uh, it's hard to describe, but it's just, it's there. There's no, there's a kind of silent understanding. Very true. You know, um, uh, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Trevor Maxwell, who founded a group called Man Up to Cancer, because a lot of times men don't talk about their problems oh, and yeah. their issues. Yeah. And this particular group has done a fantastic job about mm -hmm. that. But that bond that, that in that particular case, that brotherhood and that sisterhood mm -hmm. is, I, I've seen it firsthand yeah. and it's, it's very clear. It's yeah. very, very clear. Um, I think I told you this story, but one of my uh, foundation board trustees, Dr. John Leonard, was one of the early pioneers and uh, 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 of finding the find of creating rituxan. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I I told him the story about you, and and that was such an experimental drug. I, drug. I don't. I think FDA was just getting ready to clear that yeah. for for wide use now. Right. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy he did that and, uh, so am I. and happy you're, you're feeling good. Do you, uh, continue to go get, uh, scan from time to time? No, my, you... my, uh, my oncologist told me the last time I saw him, he said, he looked at me and he said, you know what the symptoms are. So if you feel them, you come in and see me. But, you know, he said, for, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you don't have to come and see me anymore unless, unless you feel like you're, you know feel like you're getting sick again. Yeah. When you were diagnosed, were you scared? Damn right I was. Yeah. And how did you how did you take that 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 fear and, and how how did you deal with that? I dealt with it um by sort of um going back to my past with my teacher in West Africa. Uh, and uh, I dream about him a lot and uh in one dream that I had um we were walking on a path uh on a dirt path and there was very tall grass on elephant grass on either side. We're walking along, holding hands, because uh, good friends in West Africa male and they hold hands when they walk. So we were holding hands, uh, or you know, father-son type thing. So we're holding hands, and then uh, a lion walked out into the path and faced us. And so my teacher said, you know, uh, he told me, well, um, confront, confront the lion. Just look at the lion, talk to him out of respect. Tell him that you respect him, and uh, and, and and see what happens. So I, you know, it's quaking. The, the lion's looking at me, and I told told the lion that I respect him. I'm not going to step back. I'm not going to step in, forward. In English or in, in Songhai. In Songhai. Yeah. Okay. And then the and then the lion sort of looked at me and then went back into the woods. And I woke up, and that was that was that was the the day before I started chemotherapy. I got that dream. Really. Yeah. 
So what advice do you have for people that are dealing with cancer and their fear? You know, the, the fear of cancer. Do you, mm. have, do you have specific thoughts? I think that? The, the best thing that people can do is to go to a support group, and there are lots of them, connected to your oncologist or a hospital or your church right? And, or synagogue and, or mosque, and seek, uh, seek a bond with other people. Or the thing that you're, you know, the man up kind man of up thing. Man up to cancer. Any, yeah. kind of, any kind of support group is so important uh, because the worst thing that you feel when you're uh, diagnosed is you feel like you are totally alone. You're, there you are, you're confronting your mortality. You're alone and you're scared. And so by going to a support group, you realize that these other people are going through the same thing and you're not alone and that they're there to help you. And so it's, a, it's such an important thing to do. So many years ago, uh, you had this idea, and we talked about it together, about a book called Climbing the Mountain, yeah. um, co-authored by Paul Stoller and Mitch Stoller. I must say that Paul Stoller did the majority of the writing, is a much better writer than Mitch Stoller. Uh, but could you talk a little bit about your, your thoughts and ideas about this book? That book is uh, basically trying to put into practical, uh, practical language all the things that I've been talking about here right. with you. So there are, you know, it, it talks about how you deal with, um, how you deal with uh, diagnosis. The whole process of diagnosis is very stressful because you don't really, some, you, you don't feel well, maybe you're sick, maybe you're not. Then you have to get scans, you get you know, cat scans or pet scans or whatever. And then, um, so that's very stressful. Um, how do you deal with that? And how do you, what kind of, uh, what, what can you do practically to uh, uh, ease your stress yeah, about that kind of situation. A lot of it has to do with um, uh, being in remission because being in remission is psychologically very difficult because it's, it's, uh, there's an uncertainty about it. I mean, you, know, you, you're the, you, know, you feel fine, but then maybe next week uh, the cancer will come back. Never know, right? So... That kind of uncertainty. So you, there are some exercises in there about how to live with that kind of uncertainty, or try to try to do it as best you can. But it's not easy. Paul, um, so for last year and for the next couple of years, you've been uh, you have a uh, you you're, you have a special fellowship in in Germany. Um, mm -hmm. You're actually in uh, Nuremberg area. Yeah. Could, could you tell tell me what you're doing there now and what how important well, that is to you? Uh, it's very important to me. Uh, I'm a a fellow at the Center for Advanced Study at the Friedrich Alexander University in uh, Nuremberg and in Erlingen in Bavaria. And uh, there I'm a mentor, basically, to uh, junior people who've recently got their PhDs who come there as fellows to work on projects that have to do with anthropology, but also there's people in religious studies uh, and history. Uh, they're all working on sort of non-traditional healing practices. And so we have workshops. I, I do a writing workshop to sort of teach writing techniques about how to how to you know reach uh, a larger public with their insights of what they and, and they're from all the a lot of them from China, from India, they're from Eastern Europe, from Latin America. Uh, so it's a very rich uh, experience. Um, we have colloquia, we have lectures, we have workshops. You talk about cancer. <clears throat> uh, yeah. 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 I did, you know, in, in my lecture, I talked about right, it. Right, but a variety of healing issues. Yeah, so, but they call it a sort of esoteric practices, but it's all about well-being and healing. And are there lessons to learn from that? Like, 
I love being a mentor. I love, you know, working with my colleagues and hopefully leading and teaching. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel the same as far as being a mentor? Well, for me, um, all of my learning, uh, I, you know, when I was younger, uh, I learned sort of the, the basics of healing and basics, basics of anthropology as well, sort of, sort of the, the ground level stuff. And then as time goes on, I developed those skills and ideas. But for the Songhai people, and for me as well, what's most important is when you reach uh, elder status, and I guess I can call myself an elder now. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you reach elder status, uh, maybe you've mastered your craft as a, say, anthropologist or a healer or a physician, whatever. But the most important thing to do as an elder is to pass your knowledge on to the next generation. Be a mentor. Right. That's the most important. That's the, that's the sort of sacred trust. Um, and so for me, that's what's the most important thing. So I have lots of people in Germany that I'm mentoring. I have lots of people here. I do uh, writing workshops here, and, and I'm, I'm going next week to Germany to do a writing workshop. That's awesome. And uh, it's so, um, I find it inspirational. It's, and it, it's a, that's what I'm supposed to be doing now. That's awesome. The Songhai people, when somebody is diagnosed with cancer, let's say in the village, what happens? Well, uh, they probably don't know that they have cancer. Uh, so a, someone like my teacher would throw shells, so um, divinatory shells, which suggests that there is an imbalance or there's a, they can see sickness or they can see death in the shells. Um, the, best, uh, the best practitioners, when they see that, they would say, you know, I can treat you for the sort of emotional element of it, but you should go go to the capital city and see a doctor, have some tests done, and use both systems of healing, um, pretty much the way that I confronted my own case of cancer. But that's what, that's what would happen today. Big issues in Africa. Uh, it's something that AACR is starting to really pay mm -hmm. some attention to. Um, there's a need to train and educate, you know, educate uh, oncologists and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, oncology nurses and all the above. Uh, so there's a need to invest in that country, mm -hmm. I believe, and, and other countries as well. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a real, uh, a real disparity issue and uh, it's something that we really want to address. So hopefully that's something that uh, will have a big impact in the future. Oh, this, I mean, you know, I mean, the, Niger is the poorest country in the world, but uh, there are other countries in, in West Africa and it has political issues right now. Um, and, uh, you know, healthcare is... Lots of people live in rural areas. They have no access to health care. There's no, um, if they did have access, they probably couldn't afford, you know, the, you have to buy your own medicines. It's, it's a poor place. And, and is there a, whole list, a lot of holistic medicines there? In, in, yeah, in there's, a, there's a lot of herbal medicines. Herbal I mean, medicines. Herbal, me, herbal medicines are used and they're quite effective to, for a lot of uh, disorders. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I use them myself when, when I, for gastrointestinal issues, skin, uh, skin ulcers, uh, asthma, there's, there's, there's stuff that you take for asthma. And, you know, I mean, when we think about our, our pills that we take, they are, all of them are derived from plants, right? So, I mean, and, and then they're, they're sort of, you know, reproduced in pill form. Yeah, without mentioning the company, if you remember, but didn't you do a project once for a, a company back in Africa about looking at, like, uh, herbal and bark and things of that sort? Uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was a, a, a research grant. 
and I work with a chemist, uh, you know, and uh, who is a, a colleague at Westchester. And I collected all, I collected, you know, about a hundred different medicines, tree, uh, leaves, stems, barks. Um, and he did chemical analyses of those. Interesting. Very interesting. So, so what's next for you? You, you say you're going to retire from uh, Westchester State, but I, I, I can't see you just totally retiring and not being active and doing things. Uh, well, I'm a, ultimately, I'm a, I'm a storyteller and I'm a writer, so I'm going to continue to write. I have a project that I'm just starting on, uh, on the philosophy of healing, and I'm interested in, uh, I have a couple of uh, healers that I want, I want to tell their stories, but I'm also interested in just what, you know, the whole process of it and how, um, and also the relationship between the process of healing and in West Africa, uh, art objects are very important. And there, there are objects like that ring, right? Uh, there are objects that are, you know, like statues and uh, masks that are used in the healing process. What is it about those things that gives people comfort? And why do people take up the, 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 the practice of healing? What is it about it? And uh, what, is, what, is the, what is the calling for that? And then most importantly, uh, I want to try to uh, get people to talk about uh, what wisdom they want to convey to a new generation of healers. What, what, what do they want to convey to um, their students well, um, or, or apprentices? I'm so proud of everything you've done and what you've contributed and uh, mo most proud of, of uh, our brotherhood. And uh, you've, I said, you've always were a role model to me. And I remember back to when I was really young and you were really young, you played basketball at Tacoma Park Junior High School. This is a, in, oh. in, in Maryland. I was very bad. <laughs> well, to me, to me, you were very good. And yeah. it was like, that was like this first, this moment that I said, oh, I, I want to get into basketball and I really did get yeah, into basketball did. and I practiced and I worked hard yeah. again, role model to, to little brother. And, um, it's been, it's been awesome. And, um, I just congratulate you on all Thank the you. things you've done. And, uh, it's, it's really been a pleasure to have you here to tell Thank your you. story. Um, we will certainly make sure that the audience is well aware where they can, uh, get books and, and learn more about your work and the efforts that you do. Thank but, you. Uh, just been a great, great joy for me mm. to be able to uh, uh, share this this episode with you, Paul. Oh, thank you, Mitch. And uh, short men can play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Quote that, everybody. <laughs> yes, they can. Yes, they can. Well, Paul Stoller, thank you so thank much you, for Mitch. joining us. Believe in progress. It's uh, it's been a great episode, and uh, we'll look forward to more great things from you uh, and and learnings and and mentorship and leadership and all the above. So thanks for coming well, thank, today. Thank you for having me so much. It's been a great pleasure. Thank great. you. Once again, thank you to our listeners, supporters, and donors. Remember, your support drives the progress against cancer. Once again, please consider subscribing to our podcast, sharing this episode with a friend, and heading over to our website, aacr.org, to consider making a donation. Thank you for listening to Believe in Progress, the AACR podcast. This podcast is produced by CollegeCast LLC. Please visit www.collegecastpodcast.com for more information. And don't forget, cancer research saves lives. <laughs>